Well, hey everyone, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Peace Church. Great to see all of you, whether you're here in this room in one of our venues or joining us online. Great to get to be together and worship the Lord this morning and hear from his word. So let's, uh, if you've got a Bible with you or a Bible app on your device, would you open that up and let's look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2, we're going to be starting in verse 14. It's awesome to be part of a church where God is at work and God is moving in huge and amazing ways. And the way, the primary way that God moves and works is through his word. So this morning we're going to read that word. We're going to read James chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 14. Then we're going to pray. Then we're going to dig right in. James chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the, bo- as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, I pray that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts. God, I pray that we would receive your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would change us from the inside out through your word, that you would be glorified, that your people would be built up, that the world would be impacted. God, I pray that you would empower me, a broken instrument, to bring your word for your glory. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, my wife and I have four kids, and each of them is unique, have their own personalities, have their own way of doing things, their ways of thinking. And yet I've noticed over time that even though they're unique, there is one thing that is exactly the same in all of them. You know what it is? Not a single one of them like to be told what to do. None of them, ever, at any time. It's in our very nature, isn't it? Pastor Ryan opened uh, this series on pure religion by sharing with us that the book of James is probably his least favorite book of the Bible. And the reason for that is that it gives a whole lot of commands, right? James rolls out a whole lot of commands, ways that we should live our lives, and doesn't supply a lot of stories or things like that that might comfort us a little bit. Pastor Ryan is not the only one who has said that uh, over the ages. Uh, A pastor uh, from the 1500s, Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, also said that the book of James was his least favorite book in the whole Bible. He went so far as to say, well, maybe maybe we should just get rid of that one if we can. We, of course, don't do that. It's God's word. But it's one of those hard, powerful books that hits us squarely between the eyes and tells us what God requires of our lives. This morning, we're going to be looking at the foundation underneath some of those commands. For the last three weeks, we've been looking at 
three ways in which God calls us to true and pure religion. Religion is not a way of earning or working our way into a relationship with God. Religion is simply right relationship with God. And James tells us what that looks like, how it should play out in our everyday lives. And this morning, we're going to look at the foundation that goes underneath that. For the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking, man, I, I kind of I think this sermon should have gone at the front of the sermon series. I kind of wish we could have heard this foundational idea before we looked at the way that it plays out in application. And yet, this is exactly the way James wrote it, right? This is the way the inspired author of Scripture laid it out so that we could hear what it is that God requires of us, and then we can come to understand what is the foundational idea underneath it. So that's what we're going to look at today, and that foundational idea is this. Pure religion is faith in Jesus that produces good works. Would you say that with me? Pure religion is faith in Jesus that produces good works. Amen. This morning we're going to look at that idea through three equations. I'm not a math guy, so uh, if you have any complaints about these equations, uh, you can send those emails to ryan.kimmel. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, we're going to look at some, some equations and see what... Uh, what the scripture has for us, three of those. So let's take the first one. Take a look at the first one right here. Faith plus works equals, and we'll see the answer in just a second. Sometimes when you're trying to understand a passage of scripture, one of the easiest ways to start is by looking at what it doesn't say. So in this point, that's what we're after. We're going to look at what the scripture does not say. Uh, one of the common misreadings or misunderstandings of this text Let's take a look at a couple of the verses and let's uh, maybe rip them out of context a minute and see kind of how our minds could maybe go the wrong direction with it. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So you hear that? Faith is no good. You got to have works, right? Faith by itself, that's no good. You got to have works. Take a look at a couple other, other verses later on. Was not Abraham our father justified? That means declared righteous, saved, made right with God. Was he not justified? How? By works. He worked hard and he got right with God when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? See where I'm going? Wouldn't it be easy if you pulled some of these verses out of their context to kind of go that direction and say, see, there it is, justified by works. You work hard, you do good, you earn it, and you'll be right with God. Is that how it works, though? No, I can see some heads shaking. You guys, you guys know the right answer here. So the equation, faith plus works, what does it equal? You know, on the one hand, we know the answer to this question, right? If you've spent any amount of time reading scripture or in this church, you know the right answer to this question. And yet our world is so filled with the opposite mindset that it's really easy to think that way. You know, you and I live in a, a culture that is very much work hard and earn your own way, isn't it? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? The only place that success comes before work is in the dictionary, Work hard, earn your way the whole way. Isn't that, uh, isn't that what, uh, what mom or dad said to you as they sent you out of the house to go to work that first time? No pain, no gain. One of my favorites, God helps those who help themselves. That's right. Just, just, just for the record, I've met many people, Christians, that think that that's in the Bible. I just want to help you out. It's not in the Bible. God doesn't say that. That's actually Benjamin Franklin said that for the very first time. You and I live in a world where the way that we transact is through earning stuff, right? You go to work, you do your job, and you earn a wage. You work really hard, you earn a promotion, 
right, in relationships with other people. You're nice to people, and hopefully they're nice to you back. Right? That's how it's supposed to work. In parenting, we reward our kids for doing well. We discipline them for doing wrong things. Right? We live in a world that operates on the transaction of earning. Do good works and get good things. And that's not essentially bad, but you can see how our minds would take that and then we come to our relationship with God and we can get mixed up. We can start to get confused. And that doesn't just happen for uh, uh, people who are far from God. That actually happens for people who have maybe been long-time Christians even. I remember, uh, I remember a time uh, I was sharing the gospel with, uh, with a coworker, And uh, uh, before I was a pastor, when I was going through Bible college and seminary, I worked a lot of different jobs. I had a lot of different opportunities to have uh, awkward and awesome conversations with people. Uh, they knew I was training to become a pastor, and so they'd ask me all kinds of hard questions about, about religion and the Bible and theology and things like that. And I got into one conversation uh, with, with a coworker, and uh, we're, we're driving in a truck on the way to the job site, and we start talking. And I saw the opportunity, and so I jumped in, and I, and I shared the gospel. I shared how, how God has this perfect moral standard, and you and I can't live up to that standard. We have sin, and that deserves judgment. But the good news is that Jesus came, and he lived, and he died, and he rose to take away our sins so we could have a relationship with God through faith. Woo! I said, what do you think of that? And I'm thinking, this is the moment, man. He's going he's gonna to receive Jesus, and this is going to be awesome. Remember, he looked at me, and he said, all right, I think I get it. So it's kind of like pay it forward, right? Like God does some good stuff for me and I do some good stuff for other people and I just, if I just do good stuff, things will be good, right? And I'm like, man, I should not become a pastor. I clearly <laughs> cannot communicate the gospel. It did not get through, right? But this is the way that that mindset gets into our heads, doesn't it? And we see everything through that lens no matter what we hear. And that can even be true for people who have been Christians for a long amount of time. I remember when I, was, uh, when, I was a, when I was a kid, like maybe between the ages of like 10 and 12, and I started thinking a little bit more carefully about my salvation and, and how my relationship with God works. And I remember kind of like looking at other people and, and having some jealousy. Um, this might, uh, I'm a pretty young guy, but for those of you younger than me, this might date me a little bit. I remember uh, uh, in those days uh, listening to my uh, Walkman cassette player listening to uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, uh, who's now probably a, a, a little bit older guy, but a uh, great Christian songwriter and singer. And I remember listening to him, and I remember thinking to myself at 10, 12 years old, I remember thinking, man, I wish I was like Stephen Curtis Chapman, because he and God are good, right? I mean, he's like this, this really great Christian singer and songwriter. So he knows that he's going to get into heaven, right? He knows that he's all set, because he does all this great stuff. I remember thinking, I remember looking at my pastor and saying, Man, my pastor, he, just, he knows that he's all set with God, right? He's, he's like this religious guy and teaches the Bible and does all this stuff. I wish that I could have that kind of assurance that I knew that me and God were good and I was going to be with him for forever. It's so easy for our minds to start to let that idea slip in. And if you haven't, if you haven't identified that in yourself just yet, here we go. Let me, let me one last penetrating idea question for you. See if you can identify with this way of thinking. Have you ever been in a place of need, been like, man, I really need God's help. I need some supernatural help right now. And you're like, all right, is God going to help me? And immediately you think, how many times did I read my Bible this week? Don't lie. Have you ever thought that before? I know that I have. As a pastor, I've had those moments where I'm, I'm getting ready to speak and I'm like, man, I'm not as ready as I wish I was. Man, God, I really need some supernatural help. And I think, did I read my, did I read my Bible enough times this week? Is God going to help me out? You know, did I, did I earn it? You know, it's, it's so messed up 
And we know that it's wrong, and yet it's so easy for our minds to default into that way of thinking. I think what we so quickly forget is the height of God's standards and the depth of God's love and grace. I think we forget that God's standard is perfection and that you and I have sinned. And there is no amount of good that we can do to earn our way out of it. No matter how good you and I think that we are, we can't earn our way out of it. You and I are more sinful and flawed than we ever dare believe. And yet the good news of the gospel is that we are also more loved and accepted than we could ever dare hope. Jesus came and he lived the life of perfect righteousness that you and I could not live, cannot live. He died the death for sin that you and I deserve to die. And he was raised to new life so that we can have life with him forever if we put our faith in the completed work of Jesus. Praise God. That's the good news of the gospel. I think the Apostle Paul captures it beautifully in this passage from Ephesians chapter 2. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You hear him emphasize those components. It's by grace, not by works, so that no one can boast. We cannot earn God's grace. We cannot combine the work that Jesus has done with works that we try and do. The equation lands like this. When we try to add works to our faith in order to earn our way to God, it actually leads to death. And if I could explain that equation a little bit further, I would say this. When we try to combine our faith with works, what we're actually saying is that we don't have faith. Because this right here says, I believe that Jesus has done it all. I believe that he lived perfectly to earn my relationship with God. I believe that he died to take away my sin. I believe that he rose so that I can have life forever. And if we try to add our works to that, we're not really having full and complete faith in Jesus. Do you see that? Faith, when we add, try to add to it, leads to death. So that would be a wrong way to understand this passage, wouldn't it? To try to say, hey, all right, I get it. I'm supposed to work really hard. I can earn my way to Jesus. That's how it works. That's not how it works. Second equation, let's take a look at. And this is the main idea in James chapter 2. It's this. Faith minus works equals... Let's take a look at uh, the beginning of our passage here. James chapter 2, let's start in verse 14. Just, just look a little closer what's going on here. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Right? It sort of feels like James is saying, you know, that faith stuff. It's fine and good, but it's not enough. You need more. You need these works. You need works. He gives this illustration. Words without action are useless. And he says in the same way, faith without works is useless. He concludes in verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So here's how he completes the equation. We've seen two equations thus far. Faith plus works equals death. But James is also telling us faith minus works also leads to death. Now, if you're looking at that and you're saying, Pastor John, you are clearly not a math guy. This is, you know, like, this doesn't add up. This, these, these equations don't balance. Hang with me for a few minutes. Uh, what, is, what does this leave us with? Let's look a little closer. Uh, at Peace Church, we are all about preaching the Bible. Uh, uh, the people of our church are all about understanding what God has to say. And let me just tell you, sometimes it's not easy, right? Sometimes as Christians, not only do we have to read the Bible, we have to be really, 
we have to dig deep to try to understand it. We have to be people who want to who spend some time and really dig deep to understand what this text is saying. So let's look closer. Let's dig deeper into these couple of verses. See if we can pull out something in specific. Let me highlight a couple of things going on in these couple of verses. Here we go. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? If someone says he has faith. James is saying they, they don't necessarily have faith in Jesus, but they're saying that they have faith. Can that faith, that type of faith, that maybe not entirely genuine faith, can that faith save them? Down here in uh, verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. What's James saying? Is James critiquing faith? Is he saying, no, 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 faith can't save you? No, that's not what James is saying. James is saying that there's a certain, certain type of faith that can save you, and that's a real and deep and genuine faith. And he says that there is, there's evidence behind that faith, and that evidence is called works. Here's how I would summarize it. The problem that James addresses is not faith, but a bogus faith. Somebody who says they have faith, but their life doesn't have evidence. It doesn't have fruit of that faith. The answer is a genuine faith, which is a faith that produces something. This is what James is after. He is not telling us to earn our way, right? James is not saying God helps those who help themselves. Get after it. James is saying a true and deep and genuine love and trust in Jesus will lead to fruit. And that's how we know that it's true and genuine. As you're hearing these words, an objection might already be uh, growing in your mind. The Apostle James knows that this objection is coming. He addresses it in the very next verse, verse 18. He says, someone might say, he's getting ready for this objection. This, this hypothetical person might say, verse 18, you have faith and I have works. Somebody might say, well, some of us, some of you guys do works and that's great. But some of us, that, that's optional stuff. That's like the extra credit, right? And then there are those of us who we just have faith. I, I believe this stuff, so I'm good. Just leave me be. Or if I may give a modern translation, I think the objection would go this way. Don't judge me. Jesus died for sin. Just, just I'm good. I believe it. You know, I come to church. I, I, you know, I've, heard, I've heard the message. I believe it. You know, Jesus is good. Um, I don't need to do anything. I don't need life change. Don't, don't, don't judge me. That's not okay. Don't get involved in my life in that way. Unfortunately, um, this objection became all too real in the last two weeks uh, in my own household. Uh, uh, one of my kids, who will remain nameless, um, I, uh, by the way, I'm get, they're getting to the age where they're starting to know when I tell stories about them, by the way. So that's, I'm going to try to stop that, just so you guys know. So that's why we have four of them, so they can maintain anonymity. I can just say one of the kids. Uh, so one of the kids recently, um, my wife Stephanie, was, was telling, she asked her to do something. She said, sweetie, you need to do this. Um, my child responded, no, mom, I'm not going to do that. Stephanie, uh, trying to give her some good biblical education, said, well, God says that you need to honor your mother, and so I'm telling you you need to do this, and you need to obey. My child then responds, Jesus died for my sin. I don't need to obey you. Five years old. <laughs> they figure this stuff out, I'm telling you. It's amazing. Just that fast, your theology goes off the rails, doesn't it? <laughs> Holy smokes. 
Holy smokes. Unfortunately, I've, I've experienced this elsewhere too with, with adults. Um, once upon a time, uh, sc- a long time ago, once upon a time, uh, I, I preached a message at, uh, at a church and I, uh, and, I came, and I came down afterwards and somebody approached me after the service and they said, it was a, I, was, I preached a message a little bit like this one, a little bit focusing on, on the things that God calls us to do in our lives. And, 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 a, and a person came up to me afterwards and said, and said, you know, Pastor John, I just don't think people need to hear that kind of stuff. I just think people need to hear that Jesus loves them and they need to trust in Jesus and then they'll be, they'll be good. They'll spend their eternity in heaven. You don't need to talk about this stuff that God tells us to do. You don't need to talk about sin. We just need to talk about how to faith in Jesus so people can go to heaven and that's it. I politely disagreed because the Apostle James disagrees, because Jesus himself disagrees. Listen to, listen to what Jesus says. Let's hear it right from, right from his mouth. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, says something that is really important for us to, to hear. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus gives a beautiful word picture. He says, how do you know what a healthy tree is? By what comes out of it. Good fruit. Now, let me ask you a question. Does good fruit make the tree healthy? No. But good fruit is evidence that the tree is healthy. Likewise, does bad fruit make the tree unhealthy? No, 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 no. But it's evidence that the tree is unhealthy. You see, Jesus is, is, is painting a really careful picture for us that it's so important for us to understand that it's not our works, good fruit, that make us healthy, that earn us salvation. No, 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 no. But it's, it's proof that there is something healthy inside. Good fruit is proof that a tree is healthy on the inside. Good fruit of a person is proof that there's a healthy heart inside, a heart that knows and trusts and loves Jesus. That's his point, that good fruit is evidence. It doesn't earn you salvation, but it's evidence of something going on inside of the heart. Let me point you to one more passage, one that we looked at just a few minutes ago, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm, gonna, uh, I'm giving you one more verse than we looked at a moment ago. Remember, the Apostle Paul tells us we're saved by grace, unmerited favor. That's what that means. You didn't earn it. By grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not a result of works, right? He goes to lengths to emphasize that point. But then verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God saved us by grace, not by works, but he saved us so that we can bear good works. Stuff can come out of us. We can bear fruit. This is the point that he is after. Brothers and sisters, you and I are called to bear fruit to the glory of God, to obey God. That's the fruit of a life that knows Jesus. At Peace Church, we are so blessed to be a church that clings to the truth of God. I can't tell you how proud and overjoyed I am to be a part of this church that is proud of the fact that we preach God's word, even the hardest truths of scripture. And I'm so proud to be part of a church family that embraces and loves and receives the hard truth of God's word of scripture. 
But we also need to be a people that not only hear the truth, but also respond to it, bear fruit because of it. My hope and my prayer is that Peace Church is not only a church that is known for preaching and receiving the truth, but a church that is known for bearing fruit from the truth. My hope and prayer is that we're known that way in our community. And the way that we will do that is if we challenge each other to be those kind of people. If you've been through the church membership class in the last two years, then you've heard me say just this. You've heard me say that church membership means that we encourage each other, love each other, support each other, care for each other, pray for each other, and challenge each other to follow Jesus faithfully. You heard what Jesus had to say. The tree that doesn't bear good fruit is thrown into the fire. If we love our brothers and sisters in this church, then we will run after them when they are going astray. We will run after them to grab their hand and say, brother, sister, come back. Come back to the way of the Lord. Come back to the way of truth. Come back from your sin and follow Jesus. Not out of judgmentalism, not out of condemnation, not out of gossip or discouragement, but out of love to say, I care for you. Therefore, I'm going to challenge you to follow Jesus faithfully. And we as a church family need to be brothers and sisters that can receive that, that are willing to say, That hurts. I didn't really want to hear that, but I know that I need that. I know that I need to be challenged to follow Jesus more faithfully because that's where life happens. That's where life comes from. That is James's point. It's that faith plus works leads to death. Faith minus works also leads to death. But pure religion, the way to life, is faith in Jesus that produces good works. Here's how I want to uh, I want to I want to bring us home in point three. I've got another equation, one last equation for you this morning. And by the way, I told you I'm not a math guy, so I looked this up. So you, you math whizzes can critique, critique critique this later. But from what I understand, this this sign right here means yields. Faith yields. Blank is our equation. And that is the question for us this morning. What does your faith yield? What does it produce? What's coming out of your faith? This morning we're going to do something that's a little unique. Um, the last four weeks, uh, the, including this morning, we've been walking through the, the book of James and we've been hearing the word. But James tells us that you and I can't just be hearers of the word. We also need to be doers of the word. And sometimes we go from sermon series to sermon series to sermon series. And I think we just keep hearing the word. But the question is, have we done the word? Have we actually stopped at the end of each sermon series and said, what did the Lord tell me? What was I challenged to do? The truth that I've just taken in, am I now living it back out? And so I want to actually take a moment. I want to, I want to do that this morning. I want to reflect on, the, on where we've been for the last three weeks. What is the word that we've heard and how are we going to do that word? I want to just kind of share with you how I've been convicted in my own life over the last three weeks of hearing from, uh, from James and, and hopefully you can jump in and identify as well. And we can, we can think about how we're not just hearers of the word, but we're also doers of the word. So walk with me if you would. Let's reflect on the last three weeks where we've been. Three weeks ago on week one of this sermon series, Pure Religion, we heard from James 1 verse 26 that we are to bridle our tongues. Pastor Ryan shared a very interesting statistic with us that uh, men on average 
speak about 7,000 words in a day. Women speak on average about 20,000 words in a day. That's great. That's great. We all, we all, we all share some words. Uh, here's the question. How have you been using them? How have you been using your words to build up or to tear down? Have your words been true, timely, and of the right tone? Have they been bullets that wound or have they been a gentle rain that nourishes and revives? Personally, I was convicted by that sermon. Um, I, uh, not, in, in the last year or so, I took a, a personality test. Uh, I'm, those things always interest me a little bit. They just kind of give me a little bit of insight about myself and how, how I work. I can kind of see some of my weaknesses and my strengths. So I took a personality test. I'm going to say the name of it. You're going to have a bunch of mixed reactions about it. It's called the Enneagram. I know a third of you just went, gross. A third of you just went awesome. And the other third of you just went, any of who? That's okay. It doesn't matter. Uh, the point is, it's one of, those, one of those tools that help you kind of identify some stuff about yourself. And uh, I, I am a, uh, I'm a one uh, in the Enneagram, which I think is awesome because it means I'm number one. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so many of you are psychoanalyzing me right now. I can feel it. Uh, but what I, what I learned from, from that experience is this, is that is that ones are, very, are, are, are known as being perfectionists, and they can be very, very critical of themselves. And I know that to be true. I'm very, very critical of myself. But one of the things that it said is that ones tend, because ones are so critical of themselves, they don't realize that they're super critical of those who are close to them. And I was pierced by that. When, uh, you know, when I got married, when my wife became part of my family, you know, we be, you know two become one when you get married, it's interesting. I think, I, you know, I think people who are outside of myself, I, I, I'm conscious to be kind and to be gentle and to be encouraging. But because she came into the circle now of we're one, and I'm super self-critical of myself, and now she's like a part of me. And so you know how easy it is for me to be critical of her? Because I just, we're one, you know? I, I, she's an extension of me. And so if I'm critical of myself, I'm also going to be critical of my wife. And I was pierced three weeks ago by what Pastor Ryan shared about how our words can either be bullets to our spouse or they can be gentle rain that revives and nourishes. I know that my words have been critical and have been painful many times. Brothers and sisters, we've heard the word. How are we doing the word? How are we using our words? Two weeks ago, we heard from James chapter 1. The pure religion is to visit orphans and widows, to care for those who need it the most, to fight for those who can't fight for themselves. That very same weekend, actually the day before, um, had a very interesting experience. I, uh, uh, Saturday afternoon, and uh, my wife and I and the kids wanted to go outside and go sledding. It was a beautiful day, and so we said, we're going to call up some friends and just see if they want to come over and bring their kids, and we'll go sledding together. And so... Um, uh, Stephanie texted some friends of ours and he decided to call me uh, and he called me and I'm like, hey, you know, you, you ready to go sledding? It's going to be a blast. And he said, no, actually, we can't go sledding. So let me tell you what, what happened in the last couple of weeks. In the last couple of weeks, um, my, uh, a co-worker of my wife, uh, she had been getting, she had, we found out that she had been abused by her husband and she needed a place to go. So we, so we brought her into our home. She's living with us right now. And he said, shortly after doing that, her husband actually came and threatened us, uh, threatened, threatened to, to put our family in danger because we had taken this woman in. 
And so he said, actually, we're on the other side of the state right now. We're with, with some extended family. And so we, we've got this, this woman who, who is in need and she's living with us. And we're on the other side of the state right now, uh, just, uh, just out of precaution. And that's why we can't come sledding. I remember thinking, I just wanted to go sledding on a Saturday afternoon. And here's this guy painting a beautiful picture, a beautiful example of what it means to have a Christian home that is a refuge for those who are in need. Scripture calls us to care for, to visit the widows and the orphans. Peace Church, how are our homes a refuge for those who are in need? One week ago, week three of this sermon series, just last week, we heard from James chapter 1 that we are to keep ourselves unstained from the world. We're supposed to be involved in the world, but not influenced by it. As followers of Jesus, actually, we're supposed to be the ones influencing the world, not vice versa. Have you identified in the last week the worldly influences in your life? Have you identified how it is that the influence is coming in? And have you identified what you're going to do about it? One of the biggest things we talked about last week was the influence that comes to us through our various devices, phones, tablets, TV. The world is, is right there, man. It's right in your hand, influencing. And it reminded me of a, a situation that happened not too long ago. It's been just in the last few months. It, uh, it, uh, it pierced me. It, it, about makes, it about makes me want to cry just thinking about it. I had a time um, just, just, in, just recently that uh, I was at home watching our kids, or I was supposed to be watching our kids, and I'm sitting on the couch in the living room, I got my phone out, right? And I'm, I don't even know what I was doing. It was, that's how inconsequential it was. I was either checking email or Facebook or who knows what. I'm sitting there on my phone, and I'm, I'm doing my thing. And all of a sudden, I become conscious of the fact that my oldest daughter is right here next to my head, and she's saying, Daddy, put down your phone. I'm talking to you. And it was not the first time that she had said it. I just, what am I doing as a dad? What am I doing sitting on the couch playing with a phone when my daughter's trying to talk to me? I mean, that's, that is inexcusable. Brothers and sisters, where is the influence coming in? And what are you going to do about it? Let me just bring us home with reminding us of our main idea. Pure religion is faith in Jesus that produces good works. I want to close with one last kind of family illustration here because I want to make this abundantly clear. I know it's easy for you and I's minds to, to, to get twisted and go off in the wrong direction. So I want to just bring it home and make it abundantly clear what we're hearing from James this morning. Uh, the analogy came from my wife. Uh, we talked this, this weekend about what makes her a delger. What makes her a delger? Is it the fact that now forever she has to explain to people that it's not delger, it's delger? Or is it, no, is it, uh, what, if somebody were to come to her and ask her, what makes you a delger? Would she say, it's because I clean the delger home? Would she say, it's because I, I do the delger dishes? Would she say it's because I gave birth to those Delger babies? All those things are important. But that's not what makes her a Delger. What makes her a Delger, she would say, is that I married John. That's what makes me a Delger. 
I love him and he loves me and we got married. And that's why I bear that name. It's not the works that I do that get me there. It's the relationship. I love him and he loves me. Therefore, my name, I bear the name of Delger. Now, those works that she does, somebody would say, well, well, great, that's what makes you a Delger. So you don't need to do those other things then, right? You, forget the dishes, forget cleaning the house, forget taking care of those kids, right? That's not important then. No, 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 she would say. She would say, no, because I love my husband and I love my kids and I love my family and I bear the name of Delger because of those things, I will do those things out of love because I love my husband and my family. That's what she would tell you. And the same thing is true in our relationship with the Lord, isn't it? It's not our good works that make us Christians. It's because Jesus loves us and we love Jesus. But as a result, we don't say, well, forget the works that Jesus wants me to do. We say, no, I love Jesus and he loves me. Therefore, it's my joy to obey, to do what he wants me to do. Pure religion is faith in Jesus that produces good works. Would you please stand and let's pray together to close? Let me pray for you. Father God, I pray that you would take your word that we have heard this morning and I pray that you would cause us to be doers of the word, bear fruit in our hearts and our lives. And God, I pray that Peace Church, that we as a church family, we would be known not only as people who love the truth, but people who do the fruit that comes from the truth. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray.